0: Throwback Thursday, home and home. Steve Tasker coming up on the show. The greatest special teamer that ever played this game went to four Super Bowls with the Bills. What does he remember from that experience? Who's he got on Super Bowl Sunday? We'll talk to Tasker in just a few minutes. And who gets in the Hall of Fame? Howard Balzer is a Hall of Fame voter. This is a really tough call, in particular with the safeties and the wide receivers. We'll discuss it. On this home and home, a radio.com sports original. We're brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Check them out, ziprecruiter.com slash enter. They are the smartest way to hire in 2020. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker's back home in Pennsylvania. Two things I need on Super Bowl Sunday. One, buffalo chicken dip. And two is you got to have some action on this game. If you don't have some action on the Super Bowl well, you automatically lose the Super Bowl. So let's talk bets with our good friend Eli Hershkovitz, from You Better You Bet. He's on the phone with us to talk about some excellent prop bets ahead of Super Bowl Sunday. Eli, always great to have you, my friend. Let's get into it. Give us a prop bet.
1: Yeah. So uh, looking at the odds right now, they've kind of shifted a little bit since they opened a couple weeks ago. But uh, one of my favorite prop bets is George Kittle over in the receiving yards at 72 and a half. Again, if you think about how the Chiefs are going to try to blanket uh, Kittle and the rest of these 49ers skill position players, I would assume they're going to try to put uh, Tyrell Matthew on Kittle when Kittle lines up in the slot. But if Shanahan's able to put Samuel in the slot as well, then you probably get Kittle matched up on a linebacker at times, which obviously is a matchup. He can win. So that's one of my favorite prop bets uh, in, in the Super Bowl. And then kind of correlating that with Garoppolo over passing yards. Again, this is a uh, a quarterback that a lot of people are looking back to the Packers game and the Vikings game, two games that Garoppolo didn't perform well. Really, Kittle hasn't had a good NFL postseason either. But uh, again, you have to have short memory as a better. And I would expect this game to be a high-scoring game. I like the total to go over, two. I think Garoppolo has a good performance. And, again, you, you can't just think about the past two games in the playoffs. You have to look ahead. And it, it, you have to look at the whole body of work, too. Garoppolo's had a good season. And, uh, overall, I would expect him to uh, to be able to take advantage of a Chiefs secondary that, overall, this season, again, look at the whole body of work. One of the better safeties is out in this game. And uh, I like the uh, I like the 49ers passing game in the Super Bowl.
2: I'm kind of with you, Eli. I like that. I think Spagnolo is going to sell out to stop the run, doesn't want to just let him run over him, make Jimmy G beat him. I think Jimmy G, quite frankly, has a great chance to be the MVP of the game and to put up pretty big numbers, because I think the Chiefs are going to be all in to stop the run. And your boy Kittle, I think, has a great chance to have a big day. Uh, what else you got for us? Yeah, so, uh,
1: again, you mentioned Kittle, and uh, and uh, obviously uh, a prop that I like, the receiving yards. But if you look at MVP odds, and you think about the 49ers running back, Raheem Mostert, who obviously had a big game against the Packers, and that's, uh, again, betters. Go back to the last game. That's the way we think because it's obviously, you know, the last game we've seen the 49ers play two weeks ago in the NFC title game. His MVP odds uh, opened at 12 to 1. Now they're at plus 850. They were as high as plus 750 at some books. That's one that I'm looking to fade uh, in the Super Bowl and, and probably a player that I'm looking to fade too is most are uh, over rushing yards. I'll probably get the under at uh, under 77. And a half, you think about the Chiefs' defense, uh, Russian defense, and how well they played against Henry in the AFC title game. Assuming Chris Jones is able to play more snaps in this one, too, that kind of uh, allows me to, to like the, the under in, in most rushing yards even more, even if Kevin Coleman is limited or doesn't play in this game. But uh, the MVP bet that I do like to go on with the the George Kittle over on receiving yards is Kittle 18 to one to win MVP. You go back to last season and the the last Super Bowl Rams, the Patriots Julian Edelman was 20 to one to win that award. I I like to find value when I'm looking at the MVP odds. Von Miller was in the 50 to one range, 40 to one range when the, when the Broncos beat the Panthers. I know that's a defensive player, but Joey Bosa, at thirty to one, kind of strikes me as a, as a potential MVP bet as well. So I'm all in on San Francisco, and those are two value MVP bets that I'm looking at.
0: Interesting. I, I am a, I am riding Kansas City right now. Like them to cover. So I guess I'm I'm nervous about those ones, in particular that under 77 yards rushing for uh, Mostert. All right, you have a non-football related prop bet, and those are a lot of fun. What do you got for us?
1: Yeah. I'm going to go with the Jennifer Lopez over two and a half wardrobe changes. Not a, not a big Jennifer Lopez fan overall, but I would expect she's again, she has her, uh, you know, top, top hits on the floor is maybe one of the only ones that I can name at the moment. But I would expect her to, again, try to change things up a little bit as the performance goes along. That's usually what you get uh, with some of these halftime shows too. So, uh, yeah, I like uh, I like the over on the two and a half wardrobe changes. If I'm looking at the Gatorade color, uh, red opened at eight to one, and you obviously have two red teams with the Forty ers and the Chiefs. So Gatorade color, obviously being uh, whichever team wins the Super Bowl uh, and the Gatorade gets dumped on the the winning head coach, red is is around four to one, three to one right now. So kind of an appealing prop that too. Um, and and, and uh, the lime and green is around three to one as well. So those are two colors that I'm looking at. The last time the Chiefs won anything monumental, they dumped yellow Gatorade on Andy Reid, so that's why that that uh, color's been back down. I would lean towards red because at least gives yourself the option of whichever team wins the Super Bowl. But uh, those are going to be my probably two bigger prop bets: is red Gatorade and Jennifer Lopez over uh, two and a half wardrobe changes. Definitely didn't see that one coming when these prop bets came out a couple weeks ago, but here we are.
2: So, Eli, first of all, dude, uh, do a little research, okay, and get a little bit more cultured. How about (laughs) be fooled by the rocks that I got? I'm I'm still Jenny from the blog. First I had a little, now I got a lot. Most of all, I know where I came from. That song's awesome. Uh, if you had my love and I didn't, nah, it? Nah, 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 would you, nah, nah, nah. that song's awesome. And my love don't cost a thing. So to say that On The Floor is the only good song negated all of your prophets, all of your everything else you said, because J-Lo has a lot of good songs. On The Floor is probably fourth, out of the ones I like. And yes, I have seen J-Lo twice in concert. Boom. Uh, Holy next, crap. I wow. digress, okay? <laughs> I digress. Yeah. Um, both times, by the way, it was like one time I was in Vegas for something else and we went to see J-Lo. And one time I went to a Super Bowl party and J-Lo was there. Neither time did I like consciously make a purchase to go to a JLo concert, but okay. she did okay. this thing where they brought out like a like a uh, not a couch, Dave. What's it called? Like I uh, I don't know. Like kind of like a couch.
0: couch? The yeah, like a
2: Costanza couch? couch. And she did some things that I will never, ever forget
0: oh, as long as I live.
2: Alright, so she is a but here's my question huh? for you, Eli. For, uh, yeah. for an uncult for an uncultured, uh, clearly uncultured millennial uh, degenerate like you, where are you during the Super Bowl? What's your setup? Are you solo? Are you with friends? Do you have like a betting battle station? What are you eating? I want to know what Hershkovich has going on.
1: Yeah, so we'll, we'll be in Chicago for uh, the for the broadcasts across Inter- intercom stations with Nick Costos. Uh, you guys are obviously familiar with Joe Strowski and Danny Parkins. i you better, you bet. But so we'll all be together. I'm usually with a couple friends, a few friends. I got my laptop. I can't do it on the phone, right? Because, well, no, you can't even bet. It's not even established yet, even though it's legal. You're, you aren't allowed to, to bet yet. So, uh, I got to get all, all my bets before I before I leave for for Chicago uh, in, in Philadelphia here while well, I'm still here over the next couple of days. But yeah, traditionally I would be you know set up with a laptop um, and got a couple friends. I, I can't talk too much in the second half. You know, I'll eat some food during the first half. We'll chill. We'll talk. We'll have some laughs, and then when it comes to the second half, like once I've now over the last couple of years that I've really gotten into betting. I I really have to focus during the second half, and you got to try to make some money uh, because there is value to be had, just like any other game. And while it is just, it's the last football game of the season. So uh, you want to try to make the most money that you can while the NFL is still around.
0: I am with you on Jennifer Lopez, bro. I know Ross is going to war with us both here, bro. I, I, other than Jenny from the block, I think it's called, I mean, I could not sing a song. I could not, I could name two movies made in Manhattan and the wedding Planner, or are actually, okay. I'm going to admit it and lose my man card. Eli. I like both movies have seen both of them four or five times, but the music I'm not that excited for it. I'm with you. Check them out. You better, you bet, 6 to 10. And, of course, Super Bowl special. Get all your betting advice from Eli and our friends. Good to see you, my friend. Thank you for the time. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Ross, could you name a J-Lo movie before I just mentioned two? you are you just a fan of her music?
2: Uh, I think I might have been able to. Is it Made in Manhattan?
0: Yeah, I might I might have one.
2: been able to name that one. I, I mean I've seen that. One. I like her movies. I like her. I like her. She's
0: hot. She I mean, Wedding Planner is really good. I mean, Matthew McConaughey is always good, but uh, look, she is she is Hall of Fame hot. Not that those excited are the two myself. Movie,
2: those are the two. Those are the two movies that jump out to me: Made in Manhattan yeah. and Wedding. Whatever. Right. What's it called? Wedding Planner.
0: Wedding Planner. Pre- two pretty good movies, but I'll watch the halftime show, but not that excited about her tunes. All right. Speaking of Hall of Fame. She's Hall of Fame hot. Who is Hall of Fame worthy in this class? It is as difficult as I can recall, in particular at the wide receiver and the safety position. It is splitting hairs between some of the all-time greats. Let's talk about it with the Hall of Fame voter, Howard Balzer. Howard, great to have you on the program. First, before we get into this class of 2020, how does one become a Hall of Famer? What are the credentials? Well,
3: that's a great question. Do we have about an hour? I mean, (laughs) you know, to become become a Hall of Famer, obviously. Well, first, there's there's one level of Hall of Famer, and that's the elite players, whether it's the Brett Favres or the Jerry Rices or whatever names you want to mention, where when it gets into the meeting room the day before the Super Bowl, there doesn't even have to be any discussion. The presenter stands up, says, I present Jerry Rice. Of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, he sits down. They say any discussion, and there's no discussion, and we move on to the next person. That's the elite. Then you get to the next level, and that becomes just how do you separate where what, and it, and it's all just gut feeling, it's instinct, it's evaluation, obviously, it's statistics, it's talking to people. You know, I think a lot of people have this notion that we, the 48 of us, all just get in there and we're just exercising our personal feelings and all that which to a degree is part of it but we also do a lot of research on these guys and talk to people and talk to coaches and talk to players and talk to those who played with and against the you know the players and you get a feel for who are the guys uh, that are worthy of being a hall of famer when it comes down to it these 15 finalists they're all worthy, and that's what really makes it tough because you can make a case for all of them and, but obviously, all of them can't get in in one particular year. That leads to guys waiting and all that. But I do agree to back to you, one of your original points. This might be one of the more wide open years in a while, mainly because of the first. The first there's not that. There's you know, really only one first time eligible that has a darn good chance and maybe is a slam dunk is Troy Polamalo. Reggie Wayne's a first time eligible, but I don't see him jumping over the other two wide receivers that are in this class. So that leaves open four spots. And so the last couple of years when there was basically only two, because three first time eligibles got in.
2: Howard, my question, or at least question number one, is the debate Dave and I have been having, and it revolves around Andy Reid. In your <laughs> mind, your personal opinion, does he need to win a Super Bowl to be a Hall of Famer, or do you think he's already worthy of being a member of the Hall of Fame?
3: I believe he's already worthy. That's my belief. That doesn't mean that's what 47 other pe- people who were on the committee believe. And so, you know, we've put other head coaches in who haven't won a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, Bud Grant with the Vikings, they went to four, didn't win. Marv Levy with the Bills, they went to four in a row, didn't win. He he was He was enshrined. So I think the resume of Andy Reid right now, the fourth winningest coach in NFL history, has the fourth most playoff appearances in NFL history, seven conference championship games. But there are those who believe now. The narrative on the outside is, well, he needs that Super Bowl. I don't know what all the other voters think. I don't. T- we haven't really talked about Andy Reid to this point, but it'll, I'm sure it'll come up if he hasn't won one when he does. When he does retire, it's five years later. It'll probably be part of the discussion. But in my mind, he's a Hall of Famer for what he has accomplished, and especially in two different places.
0: Okay, two things off that. Talking to Howard Ball's uh, Hall of Fame voter. One, the last time he was there 15 years ago, we all know, had some issues with clock management down the stretch. If that happens again on Sunday, and Andy Reid's two biggest moments in coaching – are represented by failures in crucial stretches. I don't understand how you can put a guy in the Hall of Fame. But secondly, just to clear up where you stand on coaches, is in your mind Dan Reeves a Hall of Famer who's been to four Super Bowls with two different teams?
3: No, that's a great question. He was he was a finalist in the Centennial class of the eight coaches uh, that were up for a discussion, and obviously he didn't he did not win. I. He, I mean, he did not get elected. I, I yeah, I think he's Hall of Fame worthy. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of head coaches. You know, there was others in that group that were considered, like Don Coryell, who's been a finalist in the regular, you know, the regular process five times and hasn't gone, gone in yet. You can make the argument Jimmy Johnson is in the Hall of Fame in large part when he hired Norv Turner in his third and Jimmy Johnson's third season as Cowboys head coach, and Norv Turner was coaching Don Coryell's system. And so, and, and that's changed the NFL in a lot of ways when, after Coryell went to the Cardinals and San Diego Chargers. So, yeah, I, I think Dan Reeves, and he's, he's being considered, and I think at some point there, there's a move now that, and I think this could happen. It's not definite, but it could happen, that there's going to end up being a separate coaches category just like mm-hmm. there is for contributors, which started five years ago. Take them out of being considered with players. And then we'll see some of these more deserving coaches uh, get in. And, so, and, and I think it's a little bit unfair, too. I mean, you mentioned you know, one instance in a Super Bowl for Andy Reid. You have to look at a guy's career in total. I mean, every coach has had issues with clock management. Every coach has had things that happen in a game or whatever for whatever reason. But I think you have to look at the total big picture. I mean, heck, by far through the most interceptions in, you know, in history. Uh, you know, players make mistakes. Everybody does everybody does and so I think that you have to look at that like I said you have to look at the big picture of anyone's career and say hey do all these positives outweigh-, outweigh a few tough things that happened to them along the way
2: um Howard let's get into this hall of fame class and who in your mind are the slam dunks or guys that you feel really strongly about
3: I don't know, you know, everyone seems to think that Troy Polamalu is a slam dunk and he very well could be. He could end up being a first time, uh, get in as a first time eligible. But you you, know, you raise the thing about safeties. You know, there's other safeties in that room with Steve Atwater who's in his 16th year of eligibility, third year as a finalist. John Lynch, seventh consecutive year as a finalist. Leroy Butler, finally first time as a finalist but has been eligible for a long time. That's a lot of safeties and there could be the feeling I mean, I remember five years ago Orlando Pace, everybody thought it was a slam dunk as a first-time eligible, and did not get in. And I think the feeling that year, and I think this could happen this year. And Junior Seau was a first-time eligible who got in. The other four guys that year, that was 2015, were all players that had waited. It was Charles Haley, six six years a finalist. Tim Brown, six years. Jerome Bettis, fifth year. Will Shields, fourth year. And so it was kind of a quote. Cleanup up year. And everybody realized, mm. hey, these guys have been waiting a long time. They're deserving. Let's get them in. Orlando Pace is going to have his time, and he did the, the ne- very next year when he got in. So it's possible that someone people could say, hey, it's time for Lynch, or it's time for Atwater. Troy can wait a year. It's not the end of the world. And then you have other guys like Alan Fanica, fifth year, Isaac Bruce, Tony Baselli, Edger and James, fourth year as a finalist. So I, I think there's six guys in there, aside from Polamalu. Who've been waiting, you know, a good number of years and have been finalists repeated times, that could end up being those other four or five if Palomalu doesn't make it, and it becomes a really good cleanup year for these guys who have been waiting. So there's six guys for four or five spots, and I have I'm not saying I'm not predicting that will happen, but it wouldn't surprise me if it does because that can, that can happen. Like like I said, those quote cleanup years that occur because there's a lot of first time finalists in this class, yeah. not the two first time eligibles and five other guys who are finalists for the first time. I'd be surprised to see one of them jump over guys who have been finalists, you know, quite a few times before.
0: Really tough to split hairs between Lynch and Atwater, almost identical resumes. Let's talk about the wide receivers quickly. Cause there's three guys again, that I believe is kind of splitting hairs that have almost identical statistics where do you lean in terms of isaac bruce reggie wayne tory holt feels like it might be bruce's turn well i, I feel it should be
3: and i have to admit um, you know i'm a little biased because i'm from st louis and i will present the cases for both isaac bruce and tory holt and i was a little surprised Holt, i thought Holt wouldn't make the finals until Isaac Bruce had been inducted, but he's in there this year with Reggie Wayne, a first-time eligible, who's also very deserving. But I think when push comes to shove, when you look at those three guys, like you said, when it's close and the guys have – but, you know, Bruce, it's it's somewhat close. But this was a guy who had the second most receiving yards in history when he retired, and he's still fifth with over 15,000 yards. And there's only four or five wide receivers in history that have – Total 15,000 receiving yards. And so I think when, guy, when the committee looks at it and says, okay, we're going to put in a receiver, it should be the guy that's been the finalist the most times. So, so I lean towards Isaac Bruce. I think the other guys will get in in time. But I think one receiver will because we all know a, lo- a, you know, a bigger logjam is coming. I mean, Heinz Ward has been a semifinalist several years, hasn't been a finalist yet. Next year, Calvin Johnson comes in as a first-time guy. The year after, Steve Smith and Andre Johnson. So there's a lot of receivers coming down the pipe, and you don't want to get to that point where you cr- you've created this persistent logjam again like we had with Chris Carter and Tim Brown and Andre Reed for a number of years.
2: Howard, I've got to ask you about the position everybody cares the most about. Obviously, offensive line, we know that. Um, do you have a pecking order in your mind for Baselli, Fanica, and Hutchinson?
3: It's really tough between those guys. I I think Baselli is probably the best player of the group. And if he had played longer and had more years, he would have been in five years ago uh, because he was, he was not a finalist for a number of years, mainly because of the short career. Finally, Terrell Davis getting in helped him and in terms of the short career. So I think he's the best player. Does he get in? I I think Hutchinson certainly is right there with Baselli in terms of being a guard and one of the best that there ever was. Fanica has waited the longest. I mean, he's a, in terms of being a finalist, at least. He's, this is his fifth year as a finalist. Buscelli is his fourth, and Hutchinson, I believe, this is, is his third. And so it's, it's always tough to split them, and it, it definitely is. And votes get split sometimes in that room, and that affects other guys. Or if, if guys vote for multiple offensive linemen in the reduction to ten, then that that hurts other guys who might have been in the 10, if not for all those linemen. So I think it's tough to separate them all. Like I said with the receivers, sometimes it goes to the guy who's been the finalist the most times. But, heck, you can make a very, very strong case for all three of them. And I think they'll all be in eventually.
2: Last one, Howard. Can you do me a favor? Can you tell all the guys in that room that I said Richard Seymour is – the best defensive lineman I ever played against. And I played against a lot with all the teams I played for. I just feel like he doesn't have the numbers because of the Patriots scheme. But trust me when I tell you, you put him in any scheme, he could have been awesome. He could have done what Sapp did, in my opinion, in Tampa in that scheme. How much do the voters really understand that?
3: No, I think they do, and I think it all comes out in the discussions, and that's what's so great about the discussions. And you get other people like yourself and whoever talking about a player like Richard Seymour. I think another guy you can kind of put in his group, and is 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 um, uh, Bryant. All of a I'm blanking on his. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I can't believe I'm blanking on his first name from the from the 49ers. And he, this is his first year as a finalist, and he's been eligible uh, for you know for a long time. And he's in that group that he's like that because he, he defensive tackles most of the time don't get numbers. So I think we all understand that. But I think one thing we have to realize too, guys, is this. I think sometimes everyone doesn't realize just how hard it is to be a finalist, just to be a finalist. So there's the respect for those guys and, and Richard Seymour because he is a finalist. And so, that's you know that's a big key, but I think it's lost in it, in it sometimes because, like I said, it's hard to be a finalist. But yeah, I think we all understand it. It comes down when everybody votes, and like you said, like we've been talking about, there's kind of a pecking order. So I'm sure that he will continue to be. If he doesn't get in this year, he'll continue to be in, this, in the discussion, and one of these years he's going to get. He's go, he's going to be in. I know it's hard for these guys to wait, but as we know, every year there's ten disappointed people when. The voting gets announced.
0: It's going to be a fascinating weekend in that regard. Howard Balzer, Hall of Fame voter. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Very interesting discussion. Thank you. My pleasure, guys. Take care. Enjoyed it. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, coming up, another guy many people feel should be in the Hall of Fame, Ross. Steve Tasker, arguably the greatest special teams player of all time, went to four straight Super Bowls with the Bills. He joins us after a quick break.
2: First, though, for the last time today, I get to tell you about my buddy Dylan, Dylan Miskowitz, who experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a director of coffee for his organic coffee company. What he did then is he switched to ZipRecruiter, and he saw an immediate difference. You can, too, by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com enter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. And its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates faster. In fact, after posting his job to ZipRecruiter, Dylan said he was amazed by how quickly great candidates were applying and found his new director of coffee, in just a few days, with results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address: ZipRecruiter.com/enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com/enter. ZipRecruiter. The smartest way to hire.
0: Throwback Thursday, home and Home. Earlier on the show, we talked to Heinz Ward, two time Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl MVP from Super Bowl forty. You can catch that on demand. Go back and give it a listen. We're also getting into the Hall of Fame vote for this coming up weekend and we're going to talk now to a guy many feel belie- belongs in the Hall of Fame, the greatest special teamer of all time, on a Thursday home and home. A Radio.com Sports Original. We're brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Check them out at ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. They are the smartest way to hire in 2020. I'm Dave Briggs. I'm home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker is home as well. Let's go to the home of the Buffalo Bills, though, and bring in the greatest special teams player in the history of this game. Steve Tasker went to four straight Super Bowls with the Buffalo Bills and joins us on the program. Steve, great to have you. I've always wanted to ask you what it was like to chase down Leon Lett and (laughs) (laughs) and strip that ball. I joke about this because it blows my mind. People apparently confuse you. With Don Beebe, what is your reaction when that happens, and does it happen often?
4: I got a lot of respect for that play, and uh, it was a <laughs> you know a time when we were getting our heads caved in in Super Bowl 27 in Pasadena, and uh, I, I will say this. I was on the field, and I was chasing yeah. Leon Lett, too, but I was way too far behind to catch him. Uh, Don Beebe made the play that you're talking about, and I told somebody. Somebody congratulated me this uh, again on this week on Twitter, <laughs> and I promised Beebs that I would never take credit for because I got a lot of respect for that play. It was a, it was an iconic play in NFL history, and but it is true. Every couple of months, and sometimes more often than that. I get congratulated on running Leon Letdown in Super Bowl 27 at the end of that game. It never happened. It wasn't me. It was Don Beebe who did it. And I promised Beebs at the time, I said, I promise I'll never take credit for it. So for the last 30 years or however long it's been, 27, 28 years, I have had to correct people who congratulate me for being the guy that ran Leon Letdown. And it wasn't me. But uh, it's crazy. It happens to this day. Uh, it happened this week, as you remember, on on, tw- on my Twitter feed. It happened, so uh, it was. It happens all the time, and I always say, and I, every time I see Don, I remind him that I should never have made that promise because it continues to happen to this day that I get congratulated for running down Leon Led in one of the most iconic plays ever. Uh, but folks, <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs>
2: Steve, you are a much better person than I am. I'd be doing speaking gigs. I'd be doing everything. I'd be signing autographs. The guy that chased down Leon Lett. I'd be doing inspirational speeches for ten grand. That's why you, too, should never give up. I would be all over that shit, man. It's true.
4: It's true. I mean, it happens. It has happened on a regular basis for pushing 30 years. Uh, I mean, you know, Don and I... Are the same size. We're two small white guys who played in the NFL, and everybody thinks, well, there's no, it can, has to be that guy, right? Because there's not that many guys like us in the NFL, and they just take it for granted that I'm the guy, uh, and I'm not. So whatever, it's cool. I mean, I agree. and and Biebs, and it is an inspirational play. Make no mistake about it. There's a lot of people who've got a lot of good stuff out of that play, and a lot of inspiration from it about never giving up and playing a, every game you're in, no matter what, to the end. And because of that, it gets a lot of mileage. And Beebs has gotten a lot of attention about it as well. Uh,
2: but unfortunately, so have I for all the wrong reasons. Dude, I, I didn't realize that Don Beebe was the original Beebs, not Justin Bieber. I love that. That's amazing. Right. Don Beebe's the original Beebs, not Justin Bieber. Steve, I, perfect week to talk with you because Super Bowl, you have experience in four as well as the Hall of Fame You know, we just had Howard Balzer on, who is a a Hall of Fame voter. Just got to ask you, at at this point, Steve, have have you given up? Or do you think maybe down the line as a seniors candidate, you still have a chance? Seems kind of silly to me that a kicker or punter would get in and not you as pretty much universally recognized as the best special teamer ever. Well, I appreciate the conversation, obviously, and I, I mean, you know, what
4: player does not want to be in the Hall of Fame? I mean, of course, but I, it, yeah, I mean, I never really thought it was going to be in the cards for me. I thought it was just there's just it's too crowded of a field every year uh, for them to throw a bone to somebody who wasn't a regular down and distance player. Um, it's you know, whenever I see the list of guys to go on, and even this year in the in the hundredth anniversary, where they had the you know the 20 guys that got in for the hundredth anniversary, and plus the the modern day player list, uh, the finalists, and I and I was a semi semi finalist for that this year. It's a really really prestigious list, and it's it's an awesome honor to be included on that list at times. But when you get down to it, as you know, the problem is you have to take somebody off the list to put a guy like me on. And, and I have a hard time putting myself above the names that are on that list. I mean, certainly I'm honored to be included in that list. It's a short list of semifinalists, but when you cut it down to even 15, and even the 20, list of 20 names that are uh, that are the 100-year old-timers list or whatever you call them, you know, the, the list that they put together as contributors and coaches and former players, old-time players – you know, to be included on that list in any way, shape, or form is a huge honor. Um, but I understand it's it's a hard thing to put a guy, put any of these guys on because you have to take somebody else off of that list. And so I, I get it. It's a hard list to make. It should be a hard list to make. It should be a difficult decision to make for the voters. There should be some consternation over who you get on and who that is left off. So I, I have no issues with the way it's handled. Uh, I'm honored to be a part of the conversation. If it never happens for me, it's it, You know, I get it. Uh, if it does, I'll be overwhelmed because it is uh, an enormous honor. It's it's the, it would be the culmination. Like for me, for me, like so many other guys before me, um, wow, what a gift it would be. Mm-hmm. But I understand why it's difficult to get in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I've played with a number of those guys. I played against a number of those guys, particularly all the modern day candidates. Uh, it's, and I covered those guys for 21 years with CBS, a lot of them. So I understand why it's such a prestigious honor. I understand why it's so difficult to get in. And I understand why I have not been included in, in the list of finalists, uh, and I have not been included in on the list of guys who actually get in. It's hard. Uh, it's a huge honor. And there are a lot of guys who have done a lot of tremendous things on the football field in the time that I played, and in the time since I played. So, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the conversation, but and and it would be great to get into that to mm-hmm. that list or onto that list of Hall, Pro Football Hall of Famers. But uh, it's not for everybody. It's hard to get in, and it's there's in a single and the one of the reasons is there isn't a single solitary guy who has been inducted in the pro football hall of fame that i would say does not deserve to be there so if i get in awesome if i don't i understand the reasons why um and i have no qualms with the guys that are in and have been in and have been put in ahead of me or will be put in after i'm ineligible so uh, it's awesome to be a part of that conversation but uh, until something changes I'm okay. I'm, I love my career, man. I love the guys I played with. I love the, the league. The league has been really good to me. I got a lot of respect for the guys who voted in, that they are going to do the right thing by whoever gets in. I'm, I'm okay with the way it is. I'm okay with the process by which it happens. And I'm, I'm just honored to be to have been a part yeah. of the league for 13 years.
0: Talking to Steve Tasker, went to four straight Super Bowls with the Bills, the greatest special teamer of all time. And we won't see guys like you ever again, Steve, in particular because of how the game is evolving. and It appears that we are headed towards a place where there really is no kickoff at all in the game. We saw some Pro Bowl changes where you could elect to, Give the team the other. Give the team the ball at the 25, or you could take it in lieu of an onside kick at the, your own 25, fourth and 15. Do you like where the league is headed in terms of eliminating the kickoff, and do you think it's gone in the next five to 10 years? Uh, gone,
4: probably not. Um, I think the league is committed to keeping special teams as a part of the game. I, uh, from the from the kickoff summit that was held two years ago, when they you know, revamped what the kickoffs actually even looked like, where the guys didn't get running starts anymore, where they had to line guys up close to uh, the neutral zone, the 10-yard area, where they had to put eight guys up close to the ball before it was kicked and only had three guys deep when they outlawed the wedge. Uh, The atmosphere in the room, the kickoff summit, was such that the league is, I think, committed to keeping uh, plays in the game where they put the foot on the ball. Uh, We call it football uh, and I think they're committed to keeping the foot on the ball, but that may change over time. Uh, if it does, it'll mean a seismic shift in because coaching staffs will be revamped. You won't need a special teams coordinator. If all you do is punt and punt return, uh, there won't be any need for that. Uh, a coordinator just for those two plays, uh, field goal, field goal defense, uh, uh, you won't need a coordinator for that stuff. You'll have, you know, a coach, and and he may get the designation. But man, oh man, it's going to take a lot of things off of his plate. If that happens, then, uh, you know, I, I think that will fundamentally change special teams, and and maybe they're moving towards that, and maybe it'll happen in increments. Uh, but as of now, it was my feeling during that summit a couple of years ago that the league still wants to keep kickoffs as a part of the game. We'll see if that continues.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, Steve, because, you know, you were so good at it, but you also have boys, including Luke, you know, plays professionally and has. And so you you more than anybody else with some of the shots you took have to understand trying to make the game safer. It's kind of an interesting dichotomy for you, isn't it?
4: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, I tell people even now, um, even before they made this last kickoff change, that I I kind of played in the golden era of special teams. And what I mean is the the rosters got bigger over the course of you know a couple of decades. It went from you know thirty six or you know t- thirty three or thirty six all the way up to forty five. So what happens is at the professional level, you wanted to hit on all cylinders with your roster. So that really put special teams on the map as far as having guys that they weren't going to play down a distance. They were going to stand there and watch, or they were going to, you started to have specialists. You had the third wide receiver that would come in. You had the nickel back that would come in. You had pass rush specialists that would come in. You had third down backs that would step on the field or third wide receivers. So the began, the game began to specialize when the, when the rosters got big on game day. And because of that, you began to have guys who were core special teams players. They played every special teams, which gave your starting defensive end or starting linebackers a chance to come off the field and stay fresher in the fourth quarter because they weren't covering kicks. They weren't running wind sprints after a guy. Uh, And that's when the emergence of professional special teams players began. And then the other end point would have been somewhere – well, I don't know. I don't think it ever happened. I think the end was still happening I, it, because God, the rosters were still big and you had core special teams, even to this day. I thought maybe it would come to an end when the salary cap hit and they started pushing those guys off to the side where you wouldn't have guys who played special teams for 10 years like I did. Uh, I played 13 years and in virtually all of it was on special teams. We had a large subculture within the NFL that were professional special teams players. And it happened because the rosters got big. And that was really the golden era of special teams. There was a wedge blocking in the kickoffs. There were return guys that had to be dealt with. Uh, There were, you know, it was a little bit of a free-for-all on kickoff and punt returns and all of that stuff because you had professional special teams players on both sides of the field doing it. And if a team didn't make the right decisions in their roster and keeping guys who were better special teams players than they were a backup linebacker, teams were losing games because of it. Uh, My Buffalo Bills in the late 80s, early 90s were making uh, real strides in winning games and making contributions to championship teams on special teams. Uh, So I got a chance to play in an era where special teams were really in a position to contribute on a regular basis and a consistent basis. So, you know, that's where the argument for guys being in the Hall of Fame consideration came from is because it was an era where special teams could make a difference and do it consistently.
0: Steve Tasker with us, reporter for NFL on CBS and co-host of One Bills Live on WGR Sports Talk Radio. Steve, quickly, um, I want to get your Super Bowl prediction. And also, you mentioned your Bills experience, those four Super Bowls. What was it like at the time having lost the four straight? And has it changed over the years the way you appreciate it?
4: Yeah, no question. At the time when you lose that fourth Super Bowl, and, and you, you know we lost the second game to Dallas, uh, which was our fourth Super Bowl in a row, um, it, it, you get to the point where you're kind of the punchline of the joke, right? There, uh, what does what does Bill stand for? It's B I L L S. What's it stand for? Well, it stands for Boy, I love losing Super Bowls. And there's a whole list of punchlines that came about because we could not win that game. And then over the course of time, and, and it gets further into the distance, and you see really great teams. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks going to two straight with the Legion of Boom. Um, the New England Patriots going to, and then this last year, you know they couldn't get back to their fourth straight Super Bowl. Um, You see other teams that look like they're going to be unbeatable, the the Denver Broncos with John Elway, Peyton Manning with the the, uh, Denver Broncos, Uh, all these teams that look like they're lined up to maybe put a string of Super Bowls together and they can't get back to their third straight Super Bowl. They can't get back to their fourth straight Super Bowl. They can't get back to their second straight Super Bowl. It started to raise the level of appreciation for a team that was resilient enough to be there four straight years in a row, whether they won or lost, to win that conference championship game four straight years is starting to get a little bit more iconic and a little bit more appreciated for the feat that it was in and of itself. Uh whether you win the Super Bowl or not, uh being there four straight years is becoming a little bit of a holy grail for for some fan bases and certainly it's something that the Bills mafia and the Bills fan base holds up yeah. as a point of pride. And um it was a special group of guys. Right. It was special coaching staff that made some changes even within those four years. Uh, it was a special fan base, uh, and it was something that uh, maybe it'll never be duplicated. It probably will at some point, but man, oh man, it takes a special group yeah. to do it, and it takes a lot, a confluence of a lot of
0: factors to get a team together that can do it. I don't think it happens again real quickly. Your prediction for Super Bowl Sunday in twenty seconds: who wins and why?
4: Uh, I think this is going to be a really good Super Bowl. I would give the edge to 40, the 49ers for one reason now, I, only because they're the more complete team. Uh, they can run the football, they and theoretically they can throw the football really well. They've got a r- great front seven who can get pressure right away with four guys. Uh, now the Chiefs have put it together defensively, uh, where they can you know they they had a good championship game, good run against the Tennessee Titans with a great running game. Uh, but I don't think the Chiefs can run the football effectively uh, in this game. I think you need a complete team to win a Super Bowl, especially a closely contested Super Bowl like this one looks like it's going to be. If you're a complete team, if you're really good in all four phases, the run and pass on both sides of the ball in coverage and pass rush on you know uh, and in running it and throwing it on both sides of the ball, I think the 49ers look more like that team to me. Uh, I would go with them. Certainly the Chiefs are a phenomenally gifted offense. Their speed is second to none. They're a handful in the passing game. But if they don't hit it in their passing game, if the Niners make enough stops in the passing game, the Chiefs can't throw it. I mean, the Chiefs cannot run it. They don't have a running game that is as stout as the Niners. I mean, I don't think the Chiefs can beat you two ways. I don't think they can beat you more ways than the one. So if they... If the Niners can take it away, I think the Chiefs are, are dead in the water. I don't know if the Niners can, but the more complete team to me in this game is the 49ers. And for that and what I've seen in years past and things that happen in two weeks of preparation and all the variables that go into this, I always kind of side with the most complete team in these situations. And to me, that's the 49ers.
0: The NFL on CBS, WGR Sports Radio, the greatest special teamer of all time, Steve Tasker. Awesome to have you on the show, my friend. Thank you. Guys, thanks. Ross, Dave, appreciate it. You're the man. All right, so, Ross, he's got San Francisco. You've got San Francisco. I've got Kansas City. We need a bet. Is it beer? Is it bourbon? Is it clothing? Do you have any thoughts, or do we need to settle that over the weekend? Um, I am going to send you...
2: If I lose, I'm going to send you a Bloody Mary package. Okay. I've actually seen this recently. It's a company I do some work with. They have a Bloody Mary package. I will buy one of those and send it up to you.
0: Okay. And, and, and
2: yep. What I want from you is I want beer. I want some. Connecticut, Vermont IPAs that you send to me. Uh, It's probably illegal. That's your problem, not mine. Uh, You have to find a way to put beers into some type of container and send it to me. Six beers, 12 beers, whatever. I just want some different local Connecticut, Vermont, New England
0: IPAs. Deal. Deal. That sounds good. And uh, I guess so one and a half points is where we're going with this. Or is it just straight up? I mean, it basically is No, 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 no.
2: I get the one and a half points. That's fine. I'm the That's Niners. Fine. I get the one and a half points. You're the one that said Andy Reid's going to blow it again. I can't believe you're picking the Chiefs. You, you think Andy Reid's going to blow it again.
0: I didn't say he's going to blow it again. I said if he does blow it again, it's proof he's not a Hall of Famer. I think he gets in because I think he wins this game because he's got the greatest quarterback on the planet. Uh, quickly, a lot of Hall of Fame debate in this show. It's really tough to pick five, but I have come up with them. Let me get your five first.
2: Okay, I will give them to you. I, and and I obviously, I feel strongly about these. I do like... Polamalu I think he was deserving seemed like he was such a dynamic player I feel bad for Atwater as well as Lynch but I'm going Polamalu I'm going Alan Fanica 13 years seven time first team all pro nine pro bowls I I like Isaac Bruce for the reasons Howard Balls mentioned earlier I feel like he, he like his personality or whatever he like He just wasn't, like, famous enough for some reason. That's what's hurting him. But the two guys, Dave Briggs, that I feel the best about or the strongest about, Tony Buscelli and Richard Seymour. Richard Seymour, simply the best defensive lineman I ever played against. He could have done what Warren Sapp and those guys did. They couldn't have done what he did. And – Tony Baselli, the best left tackle for six years in the NFL at a time when Ogden and Pace and Walter Jones were all playing. They were all fighting for second. Tony Baselli was the best. Baselli and Seymour are my two guys, but I gave you the other three I would pick.
0: Okay, I've got Troy Polamalu. I just think he's one of the all-time greats at the position and checks all the boxes for me, as does Steve Hutchinson. Uh, Seven-time Pro Bowler, five-time first-team All-Pro, two-time on the second team, all 2000s, all-decade team. Hutchinson gets in. Edger and James, 15,610 scrimmage yards. That's more than Eric Dickerson or Randy Moss or Isaac Bruce who I do think gets in Edger and James two thousands all decade team. And by the way, Ed says he is quote stripper ready down there in Miami. He's got a pop-up nightclub strippers coming and he's got a million dollars in $1 bills. So he's a hall of famer. Um, I had a really tough time. Now Isaac Bruce is in I'm splitting hairs between Steve Atwater and John Lynch as a Bronco fan. This was really difficult for me, if not impossible But I put John Lynch in the hall over Atwater. I just think he was a more complete player than Steve Atwater. We're pretty close, but I did not have Fanica in. And lastly, we're out of time. One food, Hall of Fame food, you have to have on Sunday.
2: Uh, Probably some wings. I never eat wings because I don't like to be messy. But I love me some wings. Think I'm gonna probably, probably go to my buddy's house for the first half. He'll have some wings and I will crush them. Although he like well, not on Sunday. Sometimes he'll like have like Chick fil A nuggets, but not on Sunday. So it'll have to be wings.
0: God, Chick-fil-A missing out on the Super Bowl is one of the all-time fast food tragedies, which we should discuss another time. For me, it's Buffalo Chicken Dip. That is my all-time favorite. My wife makes it. It is unbelievable. I better check with her to make sure that recipe is going down on Sunday. That'll do it for us on this Throwback Thursday, Home and Home tomorrow. Nick Costos with all the bets you got to make for Super Bowl Sunday. Dick Vermeil, the legendary coach, and we'll debate this Super Bowl between 95.7, the Bay Area, and Sports Radio 610 in Kansas City. See you tomorrow. Hi, everyone. This is Dave Briggs. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. exclusively on the radio.com app or at radio.com home. Home and Home. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network,